every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Hi, welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I am the county clerk in Boone County, Missouri, and with me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And we're really excited to have a in-person interview, and we don't do those very often, so it's really a pleasure for us to be able to see people in person and talk to them. But I will let them introduce themselves to you, and we're just really grateful to have them here. So Hi, I'm Mitchell Brown. I'm a professor of political science at Auburn University and have worked with the Election Center for a little over a decade. And I'm Kathleen Hale. I've worked with the Election Center for about 15 years, and I'm also a professor of political science at Auburn University. So our first question is always how you ended up working in the elections field in the first place. So by way of background, my I grew up in an election house. My mom was the president of our local league chapter, and she would have league meetings in our living room. And she got into it because her grandmother was one of the leaders of the Alabama women's suffrage movement. And it's a family thing. And so I, of course, had no interest in elections. And, and, and fast forward a number of years, and I got to Auburn University and was studying interest groups and social movements. I was very interested in how people without power got it and had a a book contract for a book that I couldn't quite figure out how to write and I was sort of at loose ends and my good friend and colleague Kathleen Hale kept trying to convince me to come to an election center meeting and I would be like no, no thanks. And so one day because I was just at loose ends writing this book I said sure I'll come to this meeting and I went and in my first session, I sat there and thought, oh, this is actually really interesting, and there's a lot here, and yeah, let's turn my interest in how marginalized groups get power from trying to overthrow governments to um, voting. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I got involved uh, a little bit more directly when I ended up at Auburn, and Auburn had this pre-existing relationship with the Election Center, had been uh, something that... Uh, faculty there had had started at that time, probably you know, 15 years before, and I was asked by somebody to start teaching some classes in the SARA program, and then one thing led to another. Um, I got to see a little bit more, and then the person who was of uh, the faculty member who was in charge of the program at Auburn left, and I was encouraged by my chair to take on this piece of things and. It turned out to be pretty fascinating because I, I study capacity and how different arrangements of states and localities with the federal government support capacity. Like how can we organize ourselves to do it better so that if government has a responsibility, we can actually execute it well, right? And have people know that we executed it well. And at the time, it seemed to me, and it certainly I think it certainly continued to be true, the intergovernmental questions about elections and and the federalism questions about elections are about the hottest thing out there. And so one thing led to another, and Mitchell saw the light and individually and together then started creating a research agenda around elections. 
So one thing I really want to know uh, about what you two do, you obviously teach election administrators through the SARA program. You've had hundreds, probably thousands of them sit through your classes, Brianna and I being two of those. What is it like directing classes of election administrators? Is there anything different about teaching those people than, say, regular students at a university? I mean, in my mind, I, one thing I always think of and I've seen in these classes, I think election administrators might tend to struggle a little bit with some like 30,000 foot level concepts. We want to jump right into the weeds about, well, how is that actually going to work? I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but what have, what have you seen in your experience now dealing with our people? Well, there, I think there is a difference, um, and, it, and it comes from the experience base that anybody, you know, who's not a, uh, we would call them pre-service students, students without any work experience, anybody with work experience, and certainly any adults with work experience in such a detailed field as elections, they do want to get right to the heart of it. And so the challenge for us, and, and we can observe it as people become more experienced, as faculty become more experienced, the challenge for us is to be able to uh, sort of keep that big idea or keep that theory sort of up, up, in, up in the air somewhere, listen to the examples and listen to the illustrations, and then be able to pull those illustrations up in a way that election officials can see the connection. I think that's one of the challenges, having a really deep experience base so that your audience will trust you and know that you have some idea what you're talking about, but to be able to make that connection too. Yeah, I, I'd add on to that and say that most of the election officials that we've worked with, uh, because of the nature of what they do and what makes them successful and what they do, they're, they're real clear at understanding each individual tree, right, and have a harder time seeing the forest and can, can count the trees and can prepare the trees and plan the trees. And so our job then is to say, okay, let's take a step back. Let's think about the context in which what you're doing arose. How did we get here? Uh, what does it mean about where we're going? How can you use this information to think about how to do your job better, how to innovate, how to do new things in new ways within, of course, the limits of the law to be more effective at your jobs. I, I, I love my college students. I love my graduate students. I, I might love working with election officials more. And I think I've started almost every class I've ever taught with, oh, it's so nice to be here. <laughs> you know, you all are really, even for the people who, who want to connect with their friends after class and go to the bar and have a conversation, they're still, from the second they start class, engaged and interested in the topic. And, and so in, in a regular college classroom, we spend a lot of time trying to convince the students that they actually need to be excited and interested about what we're teaching. And you all come in excited and interested. And, and so that part's really good. Where do you think it came from that the election center needed to exist and that we needed to have these classes for elections administrators because we do our own training at our conferences and regionally we all talk to each other but this is a different experience because you get to talk to everybody from everywhere but it's also providing you with a very academic foundation so that you can see that context and things like that the idea for the election center for the sarah program piece of the election center came really from three people um, robert montjoy 
who is now retired, um, emeritus professor from Auburn University and still teaches in the Sarah program. Ernie Hawkins, who is the retired chair of the board of the election center and retired as the chief election official for Sacramento County, California, and Tom Wilkie, who has a 50-plus year career in election operations, um, starting in at the local level in New York and then becoming the state election director for the state of New York. These folks were really active in NASED and really active, um, in fact, formed NASED and formed the idea that there was a space, right, that there was a need to find a way to connect and do more. Robert really was the first person, the first academic, to dedicate his professional career to researching and understanding election operations. And so I, I think he would say he had a natural interest in doing this. And, you know, the three of them, uh, they could tell you some great stories. The three of them sat out on, you know, on a boat and on somebody's back deck and, you know, had some wine and said, okay, we're going to try to do this thing. And, it, and it's evolved over the years. Uh, a program that was maybe a half a day, a course to start to something that faculty from all over the country participated. And then at some point, the decision was made to consolidate everything at Auburn University. And that happened, gee, 25 years ago. That's how, that's how it started. And the need and the desire and their feelings about this, all of them still feel the same way. So, so I'll, I'll try and speak a little bit to the question about you, you do your own training in your local offices, your state associations, or your state election directors might have their own trainings. You know, what, what makes this kind of training different and what the value added of it is? The way the first 12 courses, so what you need to take to get the CIRA certificate, is, is structured, there are a combination of classes on you know, what we would think of as standard principles of public administration, so how to be a good public administrator, as well as a set of classes that look at law and policy and the legal framework, uh, along with some history, because to understand the, the, the weird patchwork of election laws in the United States, you have to understand how we got here. I um, say all the time in my classes, this is a path-dependent process. The choices that we're making now are a function of choices that were made before any of us were born, before any of our grandparents were born. And so to really understand how to navigate within that framework, we think it's pretty important to understand that history. And so what happens in these classes, you get this sort of 12 courses that mean that everybody who has a CIRA certificate ends up with a common understanding and framework about what the job is which helps facilitate conversation and thinking amongst each other. I'd say the other big value added of the classes, though, is the sharing and exchange of ideas among people from states who do things in really wildly different ways and have different laws and frameworks. And one of the things that we know from going to election offices around the country is that the, the places where folks get to come here and do this and share, those are the places that really end up on the cutting edge of innovation. And when they face crises about something's gone wrong or a law suddenly got changed or a judge made a ruling and we have to do things fast differently, they're the people who are successfully able to adapt and have more resilient offices, in part because they have this network of people that they can call immediately and say, hey, we have this new situation, you do something similar in your jurisdiction, 
we talked about it five years ago, you know, on a patio in Florida. Maybe you can help me. And those things together then um, have, have formed this great body of knowledge and expertise among election officials around the country to help them do their jobs better. We, we have a, a series of what are called renewal classes then for people where folks get to take a deeper dive in a particular area or understanding something that's new and emerging. And that common base of understanding helps then make those renewal classes hopefully a much richer experience. And so what's evolved over the last several decades then is that election officials who participate with us in helping decide what the courses what courses need to contain and and the skills and abilities that they're interested in what what we've done is essentially establish the the professional knowledge base for the field this is what election officials who participate in these courses believe that every election official should know as a starting point and so um, we're excited to be able to build from that i think it's rewarding to think about how 30 years ago um, that there was no profession of election administration, but the evidence in the room here at the National Conference, uh, 400 people um, surely know that there is. To your point about evolution, I'm curious if over the time you both have been conducting this program and these classes, have you seen any changes in the types of people who are coming to these classes? Yeah, absolutely. The There have been changes. I'm thinking back to some early classes that I would have taught in, you know, 2006, 2007. The typical room uh, would be, you know, of, if there were 50 or 100 people in the room, most of them would be women. There would be rarely a person of color. They would be somewhere between, you know, 45 and 65, having spent a career in you know, county government or state government. Um, probably half or more with no no college degree, maybe some education beyond high school. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but the profile's changed. Folks in the room, uh, it's a lot more diverse, both from a gender perspective and race and ethnicity, and the education level's higher. We're all coming from places of, some of us are elected, some of us are appointed, partisanship is part of it. None of that ever really comes up in elections center information. I mean, it's it's very nonpartisan. In a lot of the Sarah classes, it comes from a position of how are we expanding the right to vote? Because I always just find it really striking when I start looking at some of these, the history classes in particular. I mean, it's very, we had a very limited right to vote. There is a struggle to get the right to vote. Um, but in some places, I feel like that can be a very controversial statement. Very, very clear illustrations um, in classes that I have that I have taught where the evaluation comes back and says something like, this is a really great class about the constitutional law of elections. It would be such a better class if you didn't talk about race. What does race have to do with any of it? And of course, that's completely missing the entire point, right? And so being able to I, and I think we do talk about the restricted nature of, uh, of attitudes, right? We've gone through many periods in um, restrictive nature of public attitudes. We've gone through many periods in, in history where it, it was clear that the public sentiment was that 
large groups of the public weren't supposed to vote, weren't capable of voting, had no, you know, no basis for doing that. It, it's clear to me in a few of the classes, the legal framework, the history classes, why you would have that impression that all these classes are, you know, there's this automatic assumption that part of what we're trying to do is, you know, um, have this uncontested conversation about expansion of the franchise because, because so much of the history and the restrictions and the administrative discretion that election officials have had over the last 150 years has touched on who we allow to be part of the voting process and who we don't allow to be part of the voting process. So, so I don't I don't think it was an intentional thing on our part. I just think it's an it, just such an integral part of of what's happened and and how we structure the conversations writ large. I, I would say that sometimes we have fights in classes I've taught about this, particularly the voter participation class, and 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 some people feel very passionately in different ways about that. The same is true around felon issues and differences in state laws around felon issues and what felon rights should be and should not be. And and so, you, yeah, I, I would say I've had a pretty different experience teaching these classes because I think people still fight about that. Um, and I've seen them fight about it in these classes. And, you know, I think the, the big message and takeaway for us as instructors in these classes is that you know that you have this this ethical obligation as election officials to allow everyone who has the legal right to vote to cast their ballot and how do you organize your jobs in such a way that you um, that you're always protecting that right and not let personal feelings get involved in it and, and the reason the history of elections is so important in addition to not repeating past mistakes which we do sometimes but understanding how we got here shapes where we can go and that becomes so critically important and is such an important part of having a rich understanding of what you're doing um, so, so the idea of path dependence it comes from economics um, and, and it basically says when when a decision is made to do one policy choice over another or one procedure over another um, that over time it becomes harder to do something else and, and the example everyone always gives when they're talking about path-dependent processes is the QWERTY keyboard, which is the keyboard we all use all the time, right? And it's given the name because left-hand top side is Q-W-E-R-T, right? And, and the QWERTY keyboard made sense when it was created because technology was such that the letters were on metal pins and the, the letters were arranged in such a way to minimize the pins from sticking based off of how the English language is written. Right, and so you could be more efficient as a typer. Over time, as technology advanced, there, there we learned that there are better ways and to arrange the letters on a keyboard to make people type faster. But everybody had already learned how to type that way, and all the manufacturing had been set up for the QWERTY keyboard. And and so we still use a QWERTY keyboard, even though it's inefficient, inefficient and it's silly, and we could be doing it better. And elections are exactly the same way. The, the way um, different localities and the way states run elections are functions of things that happened 150 and 200 years ago. And so you might be in an election office and sit there thinking, why am I doing this this way? Since you have this unique perspective of having 
students, the election administration students, and you kind of see them start in one class and progress over time and come back year after year. When you're just, like Brianna said, when you're just in your own state, you know your own state laws, you, you know one thing, and it just seems normal. Whatever the state's doing, that's what you know. It seems normal. I had that experience. When I came to the election center, I learned about what other states did. And I became less afraid to try new things because other people were doing it. I hope to a large extent that you see that in other students and that they 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 do those things. And um, I guess is is that common? You do you see people really evolve as they go through this program? We do see people evolve as they go through the program, um, and it and it happens in a bunch of different ways. It happens in a in a hallway conversation after a class where someone says like, "Wow, that was a great class," and and they and they never spoke at all during the class, but you see them in a couple of classes later where they're standing up or where they're the ones that are organizing the group to work on a project. You can see the difference when they graduate, and you can truly see. Uh, not only, not only, well, you can see their confidence, you can see their their pride, you can see their sense of commitment and renewal to, you know, being a part of a group of people who see things, can see things in the same way. Even if they don't always agree, they can agree on some, some pretty basic things. So um, I, I see it all the time. Kathleen and I aren't just trainers and teachers. We're also researchers, and um, I, I would say probably as much as I love doing these classes, my bigger passion is doing research. And after the 2016 election, we we sat in Kathleen's kitchen counter, which is where we do a lot of our research, or, or at least talking about our research and writing of our research in our kitchen counter. And, and we were we were reflecting on what we had seen in. You know, collectively, 25 years of experience going around to election offices around the country, meeting election officials in the classes, and what the narrative in the media was about the state of election administration, and that that we felt like the narrative in the media, that this this big narrative about how the election systems broke in the country, that that it was wrong and it didn't reflect what we'd been observing for years and for four years after that election. Going around the country and interviewing election officials and going and watching how they did their jobs and looking at elections and did surveys and focus groups and um, all, all kinds of different things and collecting collecting secondary data and blah, 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 the things you do when you research, to, to look at innovation and, and look at where places are able to innovate and where they're not able to innovate. And we wrote a book that came out last year, a Georgetown Press book, uh, basically about innovation and how innovation happens in election administration, or how it doesn't and why it doesn't in some places. In the 30-second the version of it, our conclusions was that there are four big drivers of explaining how innovation happens and it doesn't. And, and those four big drivers would be uh, the, the kinds of needs that you see locally, because the needs in a state in out west are different than the needs in a state in the deep south or in New England um, and so on. So local need matters. Um, the resource base turns out to matter a great deal uh, to explain innovation. Uh, the politics in a particular state matter about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do and how comfortable people are with innovation and change or how 
um, how paternalistic some places are and don't want innovation and change. But, but the big thing, and this is to get to your point, Eric, is another big important driver is professionalism and professionalization of the field and where you see people learning and growing and talking to each other and exchanging information and ideas. Those are the places where it's allowed by law that where, where you see people able to really make those differences and innovate. And, um, and where you don't see those innovations, those are the people not part of the conversations. They're also the people who aren't allowed to. They're also the people who aren't encouraged to go out and engage in continuing education or to talk to other places. And, and so in that way, these classes become really important for understanding and explaining um, high quality and high functioning offices around the country. It means that we're in a really tricky time right now. Um, the resource base for election offices was never high to begin with. Um, in some of the work that we've done that's actually published in the book, How We Vote, that Mitchell was just referring to, we looked at the budgets of election offices compared to county budgets in a variety of places around the country. And we did some math and found that the average election office budget was about 0.5% of the county budget. 0.5%. And so, you know, there was a range. Some were higher, some were lower. And, and so if you start with that as a premise, you've got a resource base that's low to begin with, that's now been, you know, the people doing the work have been, you know, sort of vilified. And you've got a, a, a national economy and an attitude where, you know, the first, and, and a pandemic, right? So people can't travel or a solution to a budget crunch is to cut travel funds. It's one of the first things to go in any local budget. And so the people who are here really worked hard to be here. And the people who are bringing their whole office staffs have really worked hard to do this. And so, you know, I think, I think we see the value. I think the community, the field sees the value. And I was talking to a guy yesterday. They, his office refused to pay for him to come. And so he got in his car and he drove and he's paying for his hotel room and his food and his fees. These are like really dedicated people who feel like they get something out of this and they'll spend their own money to do it. And that's amazing. I want to know when you're with other academics, I don't know, do you ever talk to science professors or math professors or people that are in completely different fields, but all these people vote. And then just out in your private lives, your acquaintances, your friends, your family, a lot of those people presumably vote. When you mention to them what you do, that you train election officials, you participate in election conferences, what do you tell them it's like dealing with election officials? That's such an easy question. Um, my immediate reaction is that it's the most fun thing I've ever done. It's not like work. I would do it for free. Um, it's the smartest people, the most dedicated people, the best public servants uh, we have. Um, I, I really believe that, and anybody who would spend time in this community and see what goes on would would know that. It was fun during the, fun in, in air quotes, during the 2020 election to have the, the rare um, opportunity of a lifetime, right, to have every single little crazy thing about an election show up on TV and have a family member say, like, what is that that they're doing? I don't understand what that word means. And... You know, it was kind of a nerd fest time. <laughs> the, the people Kathleen knows are better people than the ones I know. Um, 
<laughs> because that's not my experience at all. When, when, when people find out what I do, um, in fact, I had a guy tell me this summer, a neighbor, um, he came up to me, we were having a cookout in the backyard, and, and said, so, I see that you study elections. And then he said, that must be really boring. Why do you spend your time that way? And that actually was better than the normal reaction I get, which is for people to immediately tell me how elections are run and what's wrong with them. And they always have no idea what they're talking about. And I'll try and explain why, you know, why they might misunderstand what's happening. But most people are sure they understand because they've, they've voted somewhere. And so surely their experience is typical of every experience, right? So, uh, but, but I would, I would echo what you say. I, I love what we do. I, I like to tell people that I have the last best job in America. I love coming out and doing the trainings and getting to work with election officials. I love going around the country to look and see the different ways elections are run and to understand people's offices and why they, why they do what they do and how they do what they do. It's, it's just an amazing job. What do you want people to know about the Election Center and what local election authorities in particular can get out of it if they haven't already, you know, taken a SARA class or come to a conference or even knew that it was a possibility? I guess the first thing I would say that I want people to know, even the people who are part of the Election Center, is that the, the, the name of the Election Center is also the National Association of Election Officials. And there, there's such an amazing opportunity not only to grow as a professional um, and to connect with other people, but there's an amazing opportunity for election officials, I think, through this vehicle to come together to make things happen and to use their energy collectively to make things happen and make things better. Right? Let's make things happen together. And, and to the extent that we have knowledge and skills and resources to help that, we will. And that there's so much potential here for, to help the future and build the future. This is the place where the conversations among election officials about trust in elections, about ethical codes and examples of ethical behavior, uh, this is the place where those kinds of conversations are already started. And we've created new vehicles through um, research relationships and projects to, to advance those and, and have election, election officials create those things for the field. This is where it's happening. And there are lots of great places to get information, but to be involved and be part of the field, shaping the field. You know, the election center is, you know, of, by, and for election officials. And it is the National Association of Election Officials. So uh, ev everyone's welcome. I, I think everyone who comes wants to stay. After the Shelby decision, my, my, my sense of some of the concerns that were out there was that the folks left holding the bag was Congress. And after this past election, I feel like the folks left holding the bag are the state legislatures. The other thing I'd love to see happen is for um, elected officials and legislatures to, to actually come and get the same kind of training, particularly people on the committees that make these laws. Like, be in these conversations so we can, we can have laws that are made that may actually make sense. And, 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 and that's not a partisan comment. I think you can see this on the left and the right because they don't actually understand what's happening. I would just add to that that I would love to see that and also like to see that involvement in something more than come to a legislative committee meeting of 
election officials here and listen to what they have to say about House Bill ABCD, right? I'd like to see elected and appointed leaders who make decisions that affect uh, particularly local elections be a part of the Sarah classes, be a part, of, be members, be part of this community. They are part of the community more broadly. Um, that community would benefit from having a more specific conversation with election officials who are the experts. All right, that was another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. A big thanks to doctors Kathleen Hale and Mitchell Brown for being our guests today at the Election Center Conference. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we hope you listen next time to High Turnout, Wide Margins.